We thank you, Father, for the demonstration of your mercy to us and that we are, we are bound together by your spirit. And we thank you for this this morning. We pray now as we come to your word that you would guide us together to understand it, to be challenged by you, to be blessed by you and uh, brought together. So we thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> We're continuing on our studies in the letter to the Thessalonians, the first one. Uh, today we're into chapter 2, verse 17 and following, if you want to look that up in your Bibles at this point and get ready for that. I just want to talk a little bit about this passage this morning and um, in a sense just why we're there, but I think why it's, it's significant for today to be there. Today's passage is in a sense more personal than it is doctrinal in the sense that it's not a heavy teaching kind of passage from the Apostle Paul as he writes this letter to his friends, to his family, to those loved ones back in Thessalonica. It's a church that he started, uh, but really after relatively short ministry, he was run out of town there. Remember back in Acts 16, 17, that Paul was traveling on this missionary journey, and as he went into Thessalonica, he would, as was his practice, would go into the synagogue every Sunday and preach there. And as he went to Thessalonica, he did three, three Sabbaths, we're told, so three weeks. But after those three weeks, he was basically run out of the synagogue. They didn't want him uh, there anymore preaching this gospel of Jesus Christ preaching the resurrection and preaching Jesus as Messiah. And he continued on for a little while longer there in Thessalonica. When you read in uh, our letter, in the second chapter, it says that he worked hard while he was among them, so he wasn't uh, a burden to any of them. That's in chapter 2, verse 9. So it means that he was there long enough to establish kind of some employment he worked night and day, it says, and so he took care of himself, so it was a long enough period there. He also talks about the Gentiles, that they uh, turned from idolatry, they turned to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so again, there had to be at least some period of time. We're not really told how long, though, but it would seem to be just a period of a few months that Paul was there, and then came more persecution. And we're told that uh, the, the city elders, they rose up against him. And there was that kind of, we see it a couple times in Acts, where the city almost riots. And they gather together and they just say, we've had enough of this new message. And in this case, Paul and Silas were hidden. And Jason, whose home they were in, was pulled up before the council. And he was arrested. He has to post a bond to uh, be released and kind of making, uh, you know, the those promises or at least the recommendation that this be preached no longer and the church gets Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica so just a very short period of time about three months maybe two or three months at the most that Paul was actually there in Thessalonica and then in these missionary journeys about three months later Paul has made his way up to Athens Athens was a difficult ministry for Paul as well and as he was there, Timothy, who had been traveling, comes back to Athens, and Paul is worried about the church in Thessalonica. He's worried now that, you know, six months or so has, has maybe gone by since he first started there. And he immediately sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. We'll read about that in our passage today. And he goes back and he says, Timothy, I want you to go and encourage and strengthen the church. And meanwhile, Paul moves on to Corinth, and he spends... 
about 18 months there, we're told, in a very prosperous ministry in the book of uh, Corinth. And Timothy now has gone back to Thessalonica, and then he makes his way back and joins Paul finally in Corinth. And as you read different commentators, it's kind of estimated that that whole time frame since Paul left uh, Thessalonica, these other journeys, Timothy going back, that it's probably about a year, maybe 10 months to 12 months, that Paul hasn't heard anything about the church. You know, it wasn't the day of Google and internet and, you know, easy communication. Paul has to send Timothy. He's got to go and get a report, and it just takes time to do all this traveling. And so he gets back, and Paul has been thinking about this fledgling church. He only had two or three months with them. What was happening back there? You know, how much could he have really put into the life of that church? Is it going to survive? And he couldn't get them off his mind. And then we read in our passage today that Timothy comes back with a report. And he says, Paul, they're doing well. You know, this church, it's known for its uh, work produced by faith, its labor prompted by love, and the endurance inspired by the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's heart is filled with joy. His heart is just kind of overwhelmed and blossoms into this letter. In fact, when he hears this news from Timothy, he, it seems that he immediately sits down and begins to pen this letter to them. And he starts writing back to them. Now, as you read the letter, you also see there are some gaps. There are some things that are going on back in Thessalonica. One of those things is that their understanding of the second coming of Jesus has really upset them in a number of ways. In chapter 4, we're going to read that they're very concerned about people that have died in their church, and Jesus has not yet come back. They're wondering, what's happened to them? Are they going to miss out on the, on the glory? Are they going to miss out on all that is promised with Jesus' return? So in Thessalonians, in, in this letter, every chapter mentions something about the coming of Jesus. Now, if you remember when Derek preached a couple of weeks ago and started us off, that whole idea of waiting of waiting for the coming of Jesus is, is all over this letter. And so Paul's writing to correct some of that. They're also concerned about Paul and about the sufferings that he's going through. There, some, it would seem, are also kind of, I don't know if it's upset, it's, it's not said that directly, but they're just wondering, how come he never came back? You know, he left us, he starts this church, and we are thrilled with the gospel, and he hasn't come back to us yet. Right? So Paul's writing to allow them to understand some of those things. So while they're in this period, they're waiting for the return of Jesus. They've come through so much change and opposition to the gospel is hanging around them. They're still facing some persecution. And Paul writes in this section of this letter, his heart is just this incredible mix of, of joy to hear how well they're doing, but also concern for them. And it all kind of comes out in this section. And it's, it's interesting to me because we planned kind of series a few months ago. We sat down and just said, let's uh, figure out. It probably was mostly me. I was thinking about where we're going to be preaching. I said, let's do First Thessalonians, a wonderful letter about the church. And as we were talking about First Thessalonians, we assigned dates. And I assigned Derek and I assigned Pete Ott and myself. And, you know, we're going to preach through this series and it's, as I've been preparing for today and some of the things that have been happening in the life of our church, I just think, 
What a great passage to be looking at today. I mean, I don't, I don't know how that news from Jordan hit you this morning. It's kind of some heavy news, right? To be thinking about financing and kind of what's going on there. We're in the middle of praying for a new pastor, which we're excited about doing. And you kind of feel like, oh, okay, you know, what's, is, is this a bit of a, a bump that we've hit? What's going to happen in this? I think as you look around the room this morning, you can't help but feel and notice we are down in numbers. We miss a lot of students, right? This room has been packed for the last several months, and that can kind of feel like, oh, you know, what, what's happened? Are we, are we kind of losing ground here? No, it's just students have to go home at some point, <laughs> right? They can't live here forever. You know, they're in housing. I heard that Redeemer students, after the last exam, they've got 24 hours to get out of residence. Is that right, Redeemer students? <laughs> right? They just said, hey, you're done, go. I think it must be because they say no parties. <laughs> we don't want you hanging around too long. I don't know what it is at Mac and Mohawk and all that, but, you know, students have other lives that they go to. We've been blessed in a vitality that's in this room, and we're a little emptier. And sometimes that can just lead. And I, as I was just looking at this section, I just thought, what a great section for us to just kind of ruminate on a little bit together this morning. About a church that is so deeply loved by Paul that it really identifies in a lot of ways what church is about. And yet they're facing some struggles and they're facing, they need some encouragement. And so as we look at this section, it is just that sense. I want us to just kind of ruminate. And we're, we'd already planned that uh, at communion today, we were going to spend a little longer in communion and do some praying together. And uh, that was just because the elders in this whole process that we're in just said, let's, and this was way back in January, said we're going to want to stop more Sundays and spend longer together in family prayer. And I thought, what a good Sunday to do that, right? And God just seems to orchestrate these things. So as we listen to the passage this morning, there's three themes that I really want you to listen for. So I'm going to read chapters 2, 17 through chapter 3, 13, really the whole chapter. And as I read that, there's three themes. There's family, there's struggles, and there's exhortation. So as I read this passage, and as you read it along with me, I want you to listen to the intense emotion of Paul in his writing, that sense of his, his feeling of family with this church. But also notice the words of struggle. Satan is interfering, he says. And there's trial, there's persecution taking place. But then also listen for the exhortation. There's hope, there's encouragement, there's correction. In fact, it's interesting, Paul writes in kind of three nice chunks, three sections, and each section has something to say about family, something to say about struggle, something to say about exhortation. And we're just going to walk through and think about those three areas as we uh, look at this chapter this morning. So follow as I read, it'll be on the screens, but good for you to be looking at your scriptures as well. So 1 Thessalonians says this, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned, by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you 
Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you and return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Let's think about those themes about family. Do you hear Paul as he is talking about this church and talking to them, writing back to them, just his expressions of, of the bond that he has with them? You know, that's what church is. In church, we become this new family. In Christ, we have a bond. There is an internal bond that because the Spirit dwells in all who are God's children, that we become his children. And as he writes to them, he says, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you, that word orphaned is an incredibly intense and strong word. When he says that they feel orphaned, he says, other translations say, when we were torn away from you, it's a sense of trauma. It's that sense of separation. And Paul's saying, you know, that in Christ I've had this bond and it's this internal bond and it's an eternal bond that we share, but that sense of being torn away from you and the situation that happened, I felt orphaned. And I'm feeling alone now. And he later says on that it's better to be alone and not know what's going on, but I'm alone. And it's out of an intense longing that he wanted to come back and see them. Do you hear that language? How did Paul get that close to a group of people in just a few months? You know, what happened in Thessalonica that Paul is just grieving not being with them back there? You know, it speaks to the incredible ministry that took place there. But I think it also speaks of the incredible, uh, the incredible ministry of what the body of Christ is all about. It's about a people living together, of sharing experiences together. They shared persecution together. They shared rocky moments. Paul's kicked out of the synagogue. Paul faces opposition. The council rises up against him. And the church faced that with him. They went through life together, and that's what makes the church family. It's what makes us the people of God, the body of Christ together. 
Because as the world stands against Christ, against the gospel, it stands against us. And we, together, are the body of Christ. Paul, in those few short months, had those incredible moments of ministry, of seeing people come to faith in Christ and enter into eternal life with him. And in that bonding is really at the heart of what a fellowship is about. And that bonding is what it means to become a people together. And Paul experienced that, and I believe the Thessalonians were experiencing it as well. Look what he says at the beginning of chapter 3. He says, when we could stand it no longer, it was better to be left by ourselves in Athens. Right? He says it again down in verse 5. He says, when I could stand it no longer. You know, he was thinking about them. His heart was aching for them. He was thinking, what's going on? He says, I was afraid for you. He was afraid of what was going to happen among them because he wasn't able to, to implant everything that he would like to have implanted into their lives. He's in Corinth as he's writing this, and there he has 18 to 20 months with those people. A year and a half, great times of teaching and consistency and being able to pour into them. Thessalonia, we only had a few months, and he's afraid. Is the tempter coming along and, and, and leading you away? He says, I came to the end of my rope, and it was better for me to send Timothy. And the way he describes Timothy, you know, this co-worker, this valuable assistant to him, he said, it was better for me to be left alone and send Timothy to you, because I needed to know. Again, speaking of the depth of this intimacy that he had with them, wanting to know what was taking place and how God was moving among them. You know, that's the intensity of where church life goes. And then in verses 6 to 10, they kind of flips those emotions. Because he says, but Timothy has just now come to us from you. You know, you get the feeling that Timothy came back in the morning and that afternoon, Paul's sitting down and writing this. You know, he's just like, I can't, I can't wait. I couldn't wait to hear what Timothy had to say. And it's so good. In fact, he says here that he has brought good news about your faith and your love. That word good news is the word gospel. And usually in the New Testament, it's only used of the good news of Jesus Christ, you know, the gospel that is of our salvation. And Paul uses that word here to say the good news. That's how good it was to me that Timothy came back. And he says that we were encouraged by you. And then he says, and now we can really live. That's a great phrase. Paul just says, my life has been reinvigorated. You know, I have a new life again. I was down, I was low, but now I hear this news that you're standing firm in the Lord. And then he says, and how can I thank God enough? How can I thank him enough for you in return for all the joy that I have in the presence of our God because of you? You know, he's rejoicing in who these people are. He's rejoicing in the fellowship that he has with the people. He's rejoicing in the love that he has shared, in the experiences they've shared, rejoicing in what God is doing among them in Christ and seeing them grow up in him. I've been at this church 15 years. And I got to say, what an experience. <laughs> What a great time it's been to be the privilege of being one of your pastors. 
of seeing what God is doing among us as a people. Yeah, we've had people come and go in those 15 years, but you're all here this morning, <laughs> right? And to, to know a number of your stories. We've had a number of people want to join us in membership over the last several weeks or several months as we've gone through Discover James North. And it's just been cool to know that people want to be a part of this body. People want to join in with what God is doing among us and to fellowship together in these ways. You know, we're big enough now that we don't all know each other really well. You know, when the church was only 25 or 30, everybody knew everybody. As we've grown in numbers, and especially when all the students were here, I know some of us feel overwhelmed because there's just too many new faces to know every week. What a great experience to know that God's at work among us. People gathering in community groups and hearing stories of how people are joining in more intimate ways and praying for each other, sharing life together, to understand the ministry that's taking place. Kingdom Kids, our basement full this morning again with kids growing up in Christ and anticipating things that are coming this summer among soccer and cross trainers and all those kind of things. It's the ministry that goes on through Hub, through Coffee's On as you know, we have this, you know, Jordan said, uh, 150 people through the month come in and use, make use of our uh, food bank. And we're able to share God's grace and love with these individuals. And though a lot of you don't see that every week, you're a part of it. You're a part of what God's doing in this neighborhood. It's the ups and downs of, of health, of marriage, of families of kids, of caring for kids. And it's mom's gathering, like we heard last week on Wednesday mornings, just to talk with each other and share each, with each other about what it's like to be caring for those little kids. It's our young people as we've been praying this, this year especially for God's grace to be poured out. It's moving forward in vision. It's on those discussions. It's figuring out all these things. It's waiting for a new pastor. Now, all of this is the life of the body here. And how can we thank God enough in return for all the joy that I hope you experience because you are a part of this body? That as we wait together for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when he will return as the great king of all creation one day, as we wait for that, that our lives are being prepared for him to come. This is our family. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of. But until then, there will be struggles. Paul talks about the struggles in this part of the letter. Right? He says, my heart is filled with joy. I've been afraid for you. I've been worried about you. And look how he describes some of those struggles. You look back in verse 2, 18, it says this, Paul saying, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did. You know, it's his personal expression. I was working at it. But Satan blocked our way. Right? So as he, Paul talks about that, he's saying, in these struggles, Satan has blocked our way. And some of the struggles that we're going to face are those kind of kingdom warfare struggles. Paul gives no details about how Satan, just says, Satan blocked me from coming. 
I, you know, you can surmise about it. You can wonder what that means. Is it just what's going on in his life? Is it something about his physical problems that he's having? Somehow, though, he's saying there's a spiritual warfare that Satan has managed to once again make it impossible for me to come and join you. And some of our struggles will be kingdom battles. Can't help feel that part of not getting government funding at this time is a part of those increasing oppositions in our Canadian culture to Christian values. Some of the things that we stand for because of the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ are becoming increasingly unpopular with the culture. We know that. We've talked about it a lot. And we have to face up to it. And, and we don't want to rely on the government for what we do in ministry. But as part of a system of a government that has you know, opportunities for summer student employment, we feel there's a part that we should be able to get. And they've given it to us for so many years. But this year, as Jordan mentioned, it seems like there's a number of organizations like us, the, the group onside that runs our soccer. They, I can't remember what the number is. They, they've got like, I think it's 40 different camps that they were going to run this year, soccer leagues in Ontario. And none of them got that employment funding. And so their organization has got none of the funding. Uh, we've heard some other churches and organizations like us haven't got the funding this year. Some churches didn't get the funding last year. and There's probably a move that we won't expect it as much. This year it's kind of hit us because we were expecting it, because we've got it, and we were praying towards it, but we're reshifting now. Is this a kingdom battle? Is Satan kind of stirring things up and blocking our way? What did Paul do when Satan blocked his way? He very simply says, again and again, I tried to come. He just kept going. He just kept pressing on. He just kept doing his ministry. He kept just speaking the gospel and proclaiming what was going on. For us, we just keep on doing our ministry. We'll continue to advocate for justice. We'll continue to speak into our culture. And we will continue to be faithful to the things that God has called us to. Another kingdom battle, down chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. The tempter, Satan again, but a little different angle in this one. I think Satan blocking his ways feels more external. The tempter tempting you feels more internal. Paul was worried that they may have succumbed in some way to those internal battles of, of spiritual warfare, spiritual strongholds, spiritual woundedness. Falling away from the things of God in fear, being distracted, being dismayed. And Paul says, I'm afraid and I'm sending Timothy to you to assess the situation. I want to understand what's taking place. And sometimes in a response to this, we just got to confess we need help. We need help in those eternal, in internal battles. You know, when Satan seems to be getting the upper hand, we need to confess that we just need God's help through some other people. So we face those kind of struggles, some of those external, some of the internal, but there can also just be the very simple thing of eternal opposition or trials. 
In chapter 3, the, the first four verses, I'll just read it all again because in this context to hear the whole thing, Paul says, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And we sent Timothy, who was our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. What are the trials? Trials Paul's talking about here are, I think, are the perceived trials that the Thessalonians have for him, that Paul has faced persecution, that Paul, in having to run from Thessalonica, what was happening with him and their concern for him. I think it's also the ongoing trials that they face in their own city, the trials that are coming against them. But then notice what he says. He says, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. He says, don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard that you're going to face opposition, that trials are going to come against. In fact, he says, verse 4, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way. I told you so. Right? I said, this is going to come. If you're going to stand for Jesus Christ and his gospel, you're going to cut across the grain of your culture you're going to cut across the grain of other religions. You're going to cut across the spiritual warfare that takes place in this world. Persecution, opposition, trials will come. Don't be surprised by them. That church was even birthed in opposition. And they're, con they're concerned for Paul. So don't be surprised. And then the other side of it is, but stand firm. You know, stand firm in the, in the ground that you have. Stand firm in your faith. I think that's, last, that's wrapped up in kind of the last struggle that we identify here. Verse 10, Paul says, Day and night we prayed for you that we might see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. One of their struggles, Paul was interpreting, was saying, you are lacking somehow in your faith. And so in, in that verse, as Paul identifies that faith is kind of their next struggle, as he says this, he says, I know I wasn't with you long enough to really deepen what you need to know about your faith. For all the positives in their growth and in their church life, Paul knows that there's still areas that needed to be built up. What's lacking in their faith? I'm not sure Paul even knew, but he just understood there, there has to be some things. What is their perception of who God is? They need to grow up in, in understanding who God is and the immensity of his attributes and his character so that they can trust him. They need to be founded in doctrine. They need to have some of those deeper truths of, of the understanding of the gospel and all of its various intricacies. They need to be built up in practice. What does it mean to take our faith and to, to live it out every day? He needed to build up what was lacking in their faith. And I love that line because Paul was confident enough in his relationship with them. He was confident enough in his love for these people and the relationship that they had that he could also bring a critical comment. Because what he's basically saying is, you're lacking a few things. Right? But in his, in his love for them, in that family relationship, he said, this is how we're going to grow. You know, is it knowledge? Is it doctrine? How do we need to be built up in our faith? What are our struggles?
Right now, it's a lot about provision, you know, finance announcement. That just kind of sits there. We're saying, God, you know, are, are you going to be faithful to us here? How can we build each other up in our faith? We have a great history. We've got a great story to share. God has been faithful to us. I believe he'll still be faithful. We just need to work with him to come through this. God, would you provide a pastor? We're praying. I believe God has a pastor there for us. Is Satan blocking us? We need to keep pressing on. Because sometimes you don't know if it's Satan or if it's just something else. But we need to be praying to be faithful. Is there opposition? Let's stand firm in what we believe. It's the time for us to come together in faith, in prayer, in counsel together, to hold each other up and to be encouraged. That's why I love the final theme of this chapter is that whole word of exhortation. We could pick, up, pick it up in a number of places, but I'm just going to back to verse 19, the end of chapter 2. It's just a wonderful picture that Paul paints here. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? You know, Paul's picturing that, that day when Jesus comes back again and he gathers the elect to himself, as he says at the end of chapter 3, when he gathers all of his children together. And there's that sense of, of accounting before him, of, of holding ourselves up to him and saying, Lord Jesus... We glory in who you are. And as you examine our lives, here's what we show of how we have followed you. And he says, what is my glory in the presence of Jesus when he comes? It's you. It's you, Thessalonians. Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And as Paul says that to them, I think it's a word of, it's a word of commendation, but it's a word of exhortation as well. For he's saying, be fully aware of how important your life is in my life as well and in my eternal expectations. Tim Keller, as he's commented about this section, he says, Paul is one of the most influential people in the world. Although he had no power, he had no army, he had no money, he only had the gospel. Paul's power was he was a man of influence. And of course, that influence was really God's influence. It was the power of God through the Spirit, and it changed the Thessalonians. And for Paul, he says that his glory before the Lord when he comes are these people. And then there was this line that Keller wrote, and I thought this is all of us need to hear it, although perhaps it is to a preacher more than anyone. He said this, there's nothing that kills a preacher more than people who are indifferent to the word preached. He said another way, he says, why should anyone listen to the message if you don't live it out? There's an exhortation there that Paul is putting on that church in saying, are you living out what I've been preaching? Are you living out the gospel? Are you living out Christ in your life? Because that's where hope and glory and joy will be found before the coming of Jesus Christ. It's personal in the sense Paul's saying it as a preacher, or Keller was at least. But I think it is a model of the exhortation that we need to give each other as a church. 
your glory and your joy and your crown before Jesus will be your church family. It will be those that you've dwelled with. It will be those that you've given your life and lived life with. And it's what we're called to be as a church. And struggles are going to come. We can stand firm and have faith in the midst of it. And as we do that, we'll be built up and become this body of Christ in which God dwells by his spirit. Remember that back in Ephesians? That's who we are becoming. To close off, there's three more verses in our section. Verses 11 to 13 of chapter 3. And it's a prayer. Andrew, you and the team can come on back up. Because as we head towards communion, we do want to spend some time in prayer this morning. As we take the bread and as we take the cup, I'm going to be encouraging you to, to kind of turn to the people around you and spend some time in prayer together this morning. Focused around the body and blood of Jesus, but communion is a family moment. Communion is called the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. Why? Because at that final Passover, Passover was a meal. It was a celebratory time. Communion in Corinthians, it talks about Paul saying, you know, before you come, you know, wait for each other to eat. Because they were doing it in the context of a meal together. In our traditions, we take a small cup and some bread and we kind of do it. It's become very individualistic at times. But communion is meant to be an experience of the body. And so as we come to pray together, I'd like us to be praying this prayer of Paul's. So in verses 11 to 13, listen to the prayer. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. There's three requests in that prayer. The first request, first request is this. He prays that God would clear the way. <laughs> you know, would God clear the way so he was praying that I can come to you? I think in our church life, God, clear the way. You know, clear the way of provision. Clear the way for a new pastor to get to us. And God, would you increase our love for each other, that it would overflow, that it would, God, that you would unite our hearts and sensitize our hearts to each other in these days. And God, would you strengthen our hearts? You notice he says not sharpen our minds. You know, it's not that idea, it's important that our minds be sharpened, but in the midst of our struggle, strengthen our hearts, our resolve. Guard our holiness. Because he says, when our hearts are strong, we'll be blameless and holy when Jesus comes. You know, we wait together for that coming. Let's be ready.